0: pray with me. Gracious God, we love you. We thank you. Lord, open our hearts and our minds. Let us hear what you would have us to hear today. Be with us and strengthen us in your name. Amen. You may be seated. If you want to, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter nine. We're going to be verses one through six. Acts 9, verses 1 through 6. So it doesn't happen here in the early service quite as much. We see it in the late service. But the children's time can go off the rails pretty easily. It doesn't take much for those guys to to get past what we're wanting to do. There was once a pastor who was talking to the kids and he was trying to teach them about how Christians should act. And he said to them, why would people look at me and think I'm a Christian? And one of the kids said, because they don't know you very well. <laughs> we have to be careful what we ask kids, right? Especially in public, especially in front of the church. I was doing a sermon one time on, the, on communion, the bread and the wine. And one little girl raised her hand. She said, my mommy drinks a lot of wine. And her mom was in the back. She just sunk. But kids are honest, almost to a fault, right? Brutally honest. They just tell you how it is. But kids can offer insight into ourselves that maybe we don't see, right? Things that we don't know about because they don't hold back. They just tell it. Sometimes that's good for us, though, because as adults, we often think that our way is the best way and the only way, right? We we know the best way of doing it. You know, you Christians, they think their way is the only way too. Sometimes we have become a self-centered church, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about Methodists. No, I'm not I'm not just pointing to only Methodists, but I'm surely not excluding us either. It's, it's often that we think we have the right and the moral and the spiritual obligation, maybe even the high ground, to fight against anything and anybody that doesn't agree with us. And sometimes we lead with condemnation and judgment rather than leading with love. We talked about this at our men's breakfast yesterday. Many of those who claim to know Jesus are bent on confrontation with the world and anybody that they come in contact with. Where's the joy that we find in Jesus? I believe that there is a better way of doing things. So Saul headed out for confrontation with the enemy of the law of Moses, right? He he rode along with his vigilante committee with the permission of the high priest, and he would do everything within his power to stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would either arrest them or he would kill them. That was his job. Our sermon text is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. It says, Meanwhile Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we're going to continue to talk about how the Holy Spirit has shaped the early church. We've been talking about the early church the last couple weeks. And there's no more dramatic way than the story of Paul's conversion. Back in the days when Paul was a leader of the church, he was one of those leaders that knew everything. He knew everything about everything. He was the smartest one around. He knew that Jesus was not who he said he was. He knew that that the disciples were not only wrong, but they were dangerous in their relationship with the Romans. Saul decided that he was going to do something about it. So he set out, filled with hatred, to either arrest the followers or kill them you know whether it's a, a gang or religious fanatics or a student in a school who wants to make a name for themselves people like Saul not only exist in our world today but they they're in the news every single day there might be someone in our lives that we think we could do without someone that doesn't like us or that doesn't agree with us or that is hateful to us. We might think that they are beyond hope, but it's not our job to judge, and is no one, and there is no one beyond God's reach. Let's think about the Holy what the Holy Spirit had in mind. Not only did the Holy Spirit intend to change Saul, but he was going to use Saul. This angry young man would go on to establish 14 churches that are named in the New Testament. And he would write and encourage and instruct them. Do you know 28% of our New Testament is written by Paul? God wants Ananias to bring healing to this killer. And he doesn't want to go, but when God tells us to do something, we, we do it, right? We're supposed to do it. We're supposed to be faithful and trusting. And we do it. And if we don't, it doesn't end up well, does it? Remember Jonah? Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh, and, and, and Jonah says, okay, I, I, I'll go. And then he gets on the boat and goes to Tarshish that way. And then the storm comes, and they, they, they know that he's running, so they pitch him overboard, but he's scooped up by the, by the fish, whale, seal, octopus. There's such a, that's the biggest disagreement in the church these days, nearly as what was Jonah swallowed in? And we're not going to solve that today, friends. We're not going to do it. And then he ended up going. So when God calls us to go do something, we go and do it. So God tells Ananias to go. And Ananias goes. And he prays. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul. And he is healed. And he immediately begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in his conversion, Saul gave up all that he held important to himself. All the things that he knew, that he knew, that he knew. He gave all that up. He gave up his self-importance and his self-righteousness. He could have been a leader in the church, but instead he became an itinerant preacher. The dude was Methodist. And in doing so, he fulfilled God's mission for him. It's interesting to note that Saul's Hebrew name Saul implied that he was the descendant of a king and he carried royal blood. Later, when visiting the Greeks, he stopped starting he stopped using I'm sorry, he started using a Greek variation Paul, which means the very opposite. It means little or small. Saul was the man no one thought God could use. Saul was one that you could have done without. And because he did, the course of our faith was changed forever. God showed up and interrupted Saul's plans. He sent light from heaven and knocked Paul to the ground. And in an instant, all the education, the plans, the hatred, the condemnation that had been controlling Saul, his whole life was erased. Saul had not been listening for the voice of God, but now it shook him to the core. It was that same voice that had spoken the world into existence. It was the same voice that had called Adam into the garden. The same voice that spoke to Moses and to Lazarus. And it was the same voice that cried out, It is finished. And when that voice came from heaven, Saul knew this was no ordinary voice. And so Jesus revealed himself. I am Jesus, the one you're fighting against, the one you're persecuting, the one you're condemning. I am Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am that I am. For three days it says Paul was blind, gave him time to focus on the things God wanted him to do. It gave him time to think about life, to repent and to learn to depend on God's voice to lead his life. And just like Saul, God comes at us in God's perfect timing. In a way that God only knows he will reach us. Maybe God lets us back ourselves into a corner where all we can do is look toward God to hear His voice. And then God interrupts our lives just like He did Saul's and changes us in a flash. You know, without Jesus, we're nothing. We are nothing. We can't do anything outside of Jesus' power within us. We can accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God without Jesus. But with Jesus, all things are possible, right? Ephesians 4, uh, 3.20 reminds us, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And that ought to build us up today and tell us that we are usable. Everyone is usable. And that's something that we know, that we know that we know, and we can take that to the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.